Welcome to a live evening edition of Around the League from UGASports.com. I'm Dane Young, joined by Jim Donnan and Brent Rollins. This is the show from UGASports.com, where we talk about every game in the SEC for a particular week. It's brought to you by our friends at Connor Grading and Landscaping and ASW Distillery. Please support the people who support us, and we'll tell, tell you about them as we go on in this show. Guys, it is a full SEC slate this week, so uh, these are the games that really, really, really really matter and i want to start with the first one of the day i was surprised when these kickoff times came out coach uh this is number eight tennessee at number 25 lsu it's a three-point favorite for tennessee on the road this game in baton rouge at noon but i I do want to remind you the last time that tennessee and lsu played in baton rouge october 2nd 2010 it was the first season of the Derek Dooley era at Tennessee. And LSU won 16 to 14 despite turning the ball over four times. Yeah, that was the game that Derek went out on the field to shake uh, Les Miles' hand. The game was over, but they had a penalty on the goal line inexplicably. He won two games that year that he lost. He did the same thing in a bowl game in North Carolina when they uh, last played the game. And. Uh, it's amazing, but uh, I remember that very vividly. I thought, what an upset for Tennessee. And Tennessee has not won any really big games against ranked teams in so long. Uh, you know, Pittsburgh was ranked, and then they lost to Tech. So, But I'm, I'm just going to tell you right now, if Daniels is not 100% and they're counting on him running the ball a lot as much as he's hurt, uh, LSU's in trouble because uh, they can't throw the ball very well. And that's what uh, Tennessee gave up 450 yards to uh, Richardson from uh, Florida. So I just think this this game, unless Tennessee just pees down their pants, this is a game they should win. I don't care if they're playing an LSU haunted house or whatever it is. They got a better team offensively than just about anybody in America and they can outscore people, particularly teams that can't score. LSU's been down all year. Every game they get down against Florida State, against uh, Mississippi State, you know, against Auburn last week. Uh, you, you're not going to be able to ma- match score for score with Tennessee, but you sure can't get behind them. So I got a lot on the opening there, but I know Brent's got some opinion on this game too. Right, no, I think you're right, Coach, because the biggest thing is the Daniels part. Like how healthy is he? Because in the three games, like their three legit games this year against sort of non-cupcake teams, he's averaged, I think, 14 attempts rushing per game, whether that's scramble or direct, you know, design-type runs. Can they do that? Can they actually get Kayshawn Butte the ball? 11 catches for 97 yards. in the Before this season, He'd put, in the previous 12 games, he had – or previous 14 games, he had 12 touchdowns or 12 and 14, something like that. But double-digit touchdowns prior to the season, he's yet to score. Like, that's your best player, getting the ball. But I, I think, like you said, they're not going to be able to match score for score with Tennessee unless things like what happened against Auburn, where you get B.J. Ojolari, who's continually being productive as a pass rusher, strip sack that turns into a fumble return for a touchdown. That stuff's going to have to happen for LSU. And granted, you're in the bayou, and that you know that kind of makes it there. But it's noon. It's not at night. I, I tend to agree, Coach, that just Tennessee, there's too much. Their receivers are playing too well, even without Tillman. Hooker's been playing phenomenal. I mean, granted, their win against Pittsburgh doesn't look as great, like you said, because of what Pittsburgh has done recently. But you, 
this if you are Tennessee and you are like the SEC shorts two weeks ago and they had Tennessee, the guy in the starter jacket, <laughs> you know, rocking the Tennessee starter jacket. If you're a top 10 team, like this is a game you just go win. You go win by 10 points if, if, if that's who you are. Yeah, I think the big key, too, is Hooker on the road. Uh, everything's been hunky-dory for him. He's 39 touchdowns, three interceptions in his career. He can scramble. He takes care of the ball. He's due for something to happen bad. I mean, you just can't keep – look at what happened to Georgia last week. I mean, some things can happen to you on the road. They can they can guess your snap count. They can do some things to, uh, you, you know, get after you. But this is a big, big game for Tennessee because they down the road they got to go uh, – down here to play, and they play Bama at home next week yep. with a quarterback that we don't know what his situation is. Bryce Young, they might hold him tomorrow, and you know for Tennessee, or you know maybe he can go. But uh, I guess the game's going to be Saturday, not tomorrow. If they, if they held him tomorrow, it'd be okay. He wouldn't be. Able to <laughs> but realistically, this, this Tennessee team, as much as I hate to give them credit, because I don't know anybody that I despise much more. Uh, I mean, I like Tennessee, okay, but you know, Oklahoma State—it's it's something about yeah. orange, isn't yeah, it? But yeah, but seriously, though, they—you got to give them credit. I mean, they got a—they got a machine up there, and they—you uh, they, just got to see if they can. Uh, if I'm LSU, they got to uh, Tennessee's got to drop some balls, or uh, Ojulari get in there and hit him from the blind side, and get a punt return, or whatever it might be, but. Uh, then the, that stadium will start rocking and they got a shot. But I, I think Tennessee's got to be the uh, prohibitive favorite in this game, in, in my mind. Coach, I wanted to ask you something that I've noticed in watching Jaden Daniels because he has not thrown an interception this year. And I thought that was going to be a concern from him coming into the SEC. What is the line, though, between being safe and being maybe a bit too safe? Because also when I watch him, he seems like, he holds on to the ball so long that he's squandering opportunities to get it to his playmakers, like Brent saying, not getting it to Butte. So what's the line between protect the football because that's the most important thing, but at the same time, you have to be an aggressive quarterback. Well, he knows that they have such a short leash as far as their ability right now. They don't have a great running game. They haven't had the propensity for making any big plays. And they know if they give the other team the ball on the other side of the 50, that that's going to make it tough on their defense. And, and they, they just can't get into scoring matches with team. I mean, they, they're not a very prolific offense. So he, he's got a guarded approach to everything he's doing. I mean, and he feels comfortable running a lot better than he does throwing, in my opinion. He just seems like he's, he's a type of guy that's looking to run it instead of looking to pass it when he goes back there. And he has a tendency to guide the ball. Uh, Brent's coach quarterback, just like I have. If you're worried about interceptions and you're worried about tight windows, you're not going to be a very effective passer because there are going to be tight windows and there's going to be interceptions. But you got to let it rip, baby. I mean, you got to go back there and let it rip. And he's not doing that. I'm very impressed with his athleticism. But you see some of these quarterbacks in college football and SEC like Richardson like Hooker, uh, they'll go on and let the ball go. This guy won't, and uh, that's going to be the real downfall for for LSU as they as they play Alabama and and some of these teams and have to score some points. I just don't see that happening. That's going to happen to them Saturday too, unless they get turnovers. 
Well, Brent, if this goes the other way, and I think LSU has a bit more of a shot than I think either of you sound like the Vegas. Team. Vegas thinks the same. Yeah, Vegas thinks the shot. But to me, seeing John Emery have that run against Auburn where he just breaks through three guys and says, yes. no one's going to tackle me, that that's something that if LSU can lean on that a bit more and Emery can be a player to be relied on, I think that's how the upset happens. And they're Don't deep me. in the backfield. Yeah. Yeah, they got other guys that, that are making plays for them. Mel- the Kane's back there. He's just struggling for an identity. I mean, they, they like Brent said, they want to get the ball to Boutte. I mean, they want to do all these things, but they can't do – I mean, I like to go through a buffet line too, but I can't. I mean, I like to eat everything, but you got to be careful that you don't load up early in the line and don't have anything left at the end of it. So, uh, I think that's what what's happening here. You got a new coach who started out with a bad loss. I mean, everybody was on his ass that first week, and then they haven't looked good in winning. They really haven't. I mean, uh, a team turns the ball over like uh, Auburn did last week four times. You, you're going to, you know, it's gift wrap for them there on the road. That was their first road game. But uh, Tennessee, uh, it'd be good if they got a loss. I'd, it'd be great. I, it helps us every time Tennessee or Kentucky loses. Let's uh, stick with Auburn uh, since we mentioned them. And, Brent, I'm going to start with you on, on this one uh, because Auburn does come to Georgia and, and Coach and I talked about it. Uh, I did a little bit of a, a stat dive earlier. Kirby Smart 6-1 and one against Auburn since being at Georgia, obviously the, the one being the 2017 season. They got the redemption in the right. SEC championship. The average score of those games, though, even though it seems like it's in a, a, very, a very lopsided series, average score in those seven games, Georgia 24, Auburn 13. But Auburn's only averaged nine points a game in the last five games, and it's not like this Auburn offense has proven that much this season. No, and it's but for Georgia, it's like which team is going to show up? The, the juggernaut that we saw in the first three weeks that just you know stepped on somebody you know, team's throat and finished them quite easily, or the team that's been mistake ridden, that's been mental mistake ridden, things like that uh, over the past you know, two weeks. So which team shows up? I, you know, you tend to think that. You're at home and the crowd and the 330 time, like all the things that are sort of it should be in your favor. But I will say there are some things that Georgia is doing that they're just not going to fix just easily. Like it's just experience and mental mistakes. And you're just going to have that's coming comes with experience with the young defense. You know, the, the fumble thing, not so much. I, I don't worry about the turnovers as much because of the sort of fluky nature of turnovers oftentimes, but the defensive mistakes, the defensive lap, the mental lapses on defense, and especially with what Robbie Ashford does, because he's backyard ball, Mr. Backyard Ball. He's going to run around, run around, and find somebody. Like those things come out. And the other thing with with Auburn, yes, they lost Leota uh, to the, I think for the season one of the one of the defensive linemen, but they still got a couple really good defensive linemen. They don't have the depth, but they got guys that can get after the quarterback and guys that can sort of mess your game up on the defensive line. Yeah, all good points. Uh- History is is a real uh, a subject that I like to talk about. And since 2009, Auburn over here playing in, in uh, Sanford Stadium has not scored more than one touchdown in any game. So there's something about playing over here where they get tight. Or, they haven't scored. Like that's seven or eight games. I don't know how many times they played over here, but they – they With have some not, good offenses. Some teams yeah, that have scored yeah. on a lot of teams. It just history's not on their side. And Ashford, it can really hurt you on the scramble, no question. But 
I think we're going to bullet him up on the outside and come on some speed rushes. Their offensive line is not great. And then their offensive center challenged our defense and said he was going to come in here with one of the most stupid remarks I've ever heard a guy talk about. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't become bulletin board material like it used to be, but it certainly will get our attention. But I think the biggest key for our defense and uh, is the fact that Javon Bullard is going to be back at star even though Tyke did some good things, this guy's kind of the glue back there in the coverages. He can play the run extremely well, and he's not going to be out of position like we ended up last week a couple of times with some busts in the secondary. I think that's going to help our, our, our back end so much, having that cohesiveness with your nickel guy who makes all those adjustments on the slot receiver and, and plays. Uh, you know, really good run support. But we might be without Munden. I don't know at linebacker. But then uh, offensively, I think it just cut back, get it to your horses, and don't stop yourself. Uh, you know, you're going to have some bad games. But uh, this is going to be a, a case. If Auburn turns the ball over at all and we don't, it's going to be ugly. Bad. It's going to be really ugly. bad. Coach, Six, I have a theory for you. With us. They can't score with us. I have a theory for why Auburn center said what he said about Georgia's defensive line. Was he on marijuana or something? What do you mean? <laughs> In theory, what if Brian Harson told him, maybe you say this so I can get my buyout a little bit faster. Well, I don't know, but, but you know, it's obviously a part of the scouting report. Cause I don't know a center that's going to come up. Hey, we need to get, keep them out of their third down package, you know, you know, that's what he talked about because we sub so much and, and really play an excellent defense on third down because you don't have the threat of the run much. And that's what he's talking about, early down success. And I guarantee you we're going to load up and stop, try to stop Bixby and Hunter and make them uh, throw the ball, you know, from the pocket. And uh, I don't see him running around on us. I mean, similar defense to what we did to Bo Nix uh, the last three years – when we played Auburn and when we played him in Oregon, I think we'll get after him pretty good. All I'm saying is that if someone was offering me $15 million to sabotage this show, I'd be dropping some F-bombs. <laughs> Just yeah. that's more than that, probably. More than that. I think the buyout's around $15 million. Yeah. It's not quite Wisconsin buyout, although I think they negotiated that down a bit. I don't you know, know Wisconsin got theirs down to $11 million, but uh, – I thought that's smart by the coach because now he doesn't have a non-compete. He can maybe go after it and take that $11 million and invest it. By the time he – three years from now, he'll have 19. These coaches just aren't good about going away. I think I told you this, Coach. When Manny Diaz got fired from Miami and got – I forget what that buyout was, $12 million or something. It, maybe it wasn't that much. Maybe even it was like $8 million. I don't remember. But when he decided, I'm going to leave South Florida and move to rural Pennsylvania because I just love coaching that much, that's when I knew these, some of these guys are lunatics. Like, you can't just be happy with your money. Hey, well, you know Manny Diaz. Except for Edo. Except for Edo. Oh, Edo's as happy he as loves, he can be. He's, he's a football junkie. He loves football. You know, he was never never played football. He's working in the in the uh, ESPN newsroom up there. And, uh, you know, Chuck Amato knew his dad. His dad was the mayor of Miami. And Chuck gave him a job as a GA, and then all of a sudden he got on at NC State and then Mississippi State and then Texas. And 
he knows ball. I mean, he's worked at it. That's the same way with Drinkwitz. He didn't play football, but he 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 worked at it. You don't have to be a player to to actually be a coach. Lou Holtz played a little bit at, at uh, we excuse me at Kent State, but uh, you don't have to be a player to be a GM, obviously. Right. I mean, yeah, that's right. You general manager, man, you got it. So, but anyhow, what do we got next here? We got to tell us about one of our sponsors because these guys are great. Yeah, let's start with our friends over at uh, Connor Grading and Landscaping, and then we'll get to our uh, Mississippi State game. I have an interesting stat from from them last week. Uh, Brent, I know you've got work being done at your house from the folks at Connor Grading and Landscaping, and they've been day one sponsors of Around the League from UGASports.com, and it's just because they're really good at developing and fostering relationships uh, with people in the community, and that's how uh, we got connected with them through Brent, and uh, they're just good people. They're Georgia fans. They want to make sure they take care of the folks in Northeast Georgia. So if you want to move a little bit of earth, if you want your yard to look uh, great, I looked at my yard earlier today, Brent, and I said, you know what? I should probably give this one more cut in this season uh, to make sure I'm set yeah. for the rest of the winter. It'd be a great time to call Connor Grading and Landscaping and get them out here uh, to maybe look at the things that I could do to make it to where when the spring comes, I'm set to go. And it sounds like that's what you're doing. Yep, pretty much. And, and a lot of it's me being lazy over time, and now I need to fix fix the lazy. Well, they're good about doing that, so go check out some ideas from the folks at Connor Grading and Landscaping. Uh, you can check them out over at connorgrading.com. Again, they've been day one sponsors of Around the League, so please support the people who support us. If you or anyone you know uh, has some yard work or landscaping that you just think might be an option for your future, just give them a call, check them out, see if it aligns. They'll even come with some ideas of how they can best uh, get your yard looking great for your home tailgate. Uh, all right, let's move to our game with Mississippi State coming off a big win against Texas A&M. The uh, Mississippi State Bulldogs a nine-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Arkansas. That'll be at 11 o'clock local time. Brent, here's the stat that I wanted to share about Mississippi State because you saw that game between Mississippi State and Texas A&M. It was decisive. It was not a very close game. And yet, Mississippi State, 13 penalties, 438 yards, and still beat Texas A&M 42-24. to 24. That is a butt-whooping. Yes. And yeah, I, when I watched that game, I kept thinking of Sandra Bullock in the blind side. When she calls the coach and she's like, run the dang ball, Bert. Second most attempts in the Mike Leach era. Second most yards rushing in the Mike Leach era. Coach, you talked about it last week. I thought I like, talked about it. Give me some credit. And you too, both of us. Like Thank we you. talked about, hey, run the ball, get some pressure, get some pressure off your quarterback. And since Leach has been there, the three years he's been, like I said, second most attempts, second most yards, and you got the pressure off the QB, added some balance to your offense, and they just took it to him. Took it to Texas. Yeah, and with that, uh, Rogers got the player of the week uh, with all that rushing. He got all his yards passing too. Uh, you know, they're they're uh, a team that has really evolved, knowing what you got to do to win in the league. They had a bad loss against uh, LSU where they had the game in hand, but they're reacting to all these teams playing this look where they're just playing soft and making you throw the ball in front of them. And when that happens, it just opens up the running lanes. And they got the back that can break tackles. I mean, he really can make you make you miss in the open field. He runs hard. So it's going to be a tough out for anybody to beat this team. They got to go up to Kentucky next week 
And then, you know, we got to go down there in a couple of weeks and play, uh, play again. Hopefully it'll be a CBS game or earlier in the day. I hate those night games down there too, but uh, I give them a lot of credit. Arkansas right now is reeling. You know that song uh, Chuck Berry used to sing. Both of you guys weren't even alive. He used to sing "Reeling and a Rocking." Uh, they aren't rocking much right now. I mean, they had a chance against Bama for for a little while, and then Barry Odom pulls this same old stuff and tries to stop everything on every defense, and they broke two seventy-yard runs on them. Uh, you know, he's he's a good coach, but he gets a little stat conscious. And I mean, when you give up forty-nine, it's tough. So. Uh, I, I hear that K.J. Jefferson's not going to play. Maybe that's just a fallacy. But if he doesn't play, I don't give uh, the Hogs a lot of chance over there playing these Bulldogs. The one thing that Coach Pittman has done, though, he's 2-0 and against Mike Leach. He got that win during COVID season against him, and he got one last year. So uh, it, it was really kind of the signature win of their team. Uh, they finally won a game on the road his first year and uh, got them going. And ever since then, Hogs have been pretty good. But right now, I think if you just had an arrow going up or going down, I would say Mississippi State's up and Arkansas's down. Wouldn't you, Brent? 100%. Three straight drives of 70-plus yard runs. One from the QB on third and 17 or third and 15 or something like that. And then the two runs from Gibbs. It was a, and the secondary, we'll talk about that when we get to Bama, I think, in a little bit. But they made Bama's receivers feel a lot better about themselves. Brent, I saw K.J. Jefferson, and this is not going to be relevant to this game if he doesn't play, because I've seen some of that same chatter, Coach, and Sam Pittman was saying they, they would did their final checks to see. But when I saw K.J. Jefferson run a quarterback sneak against Alabama, I wondered why they run a single play other than that one. Because got like three, It was third and three. He got like four yards. Yeah. It was good. It was good, but – I guess they're worried about him jumping up in the air, extending the ball. I would just like like you did against the, uh, you know, A and M. But start me on the fifteen yard line. You give me that guy, and I'll take my three yards and fall over for the whole field. <laughs> I mean, that that might as well be an option offense. I don't know how you stop that with that guy. Yeah, well, you got to put some big old chilardos in there and let them come down hard. That helps. Let's move on to talk about uh, Alabama. And they get the primetime slot, Brent, but it is against Texas A&M. It was thought to be the sexy matchup preseason. 8 o'clock on CBS, the night game, Alabama at home against A&M, a 24-point favorite. This could get – now, if Bryce plays, like that's the, obviously that's the biggest question of the game. But if he does and he plays sort of no, in a normal sense, this could get ugly. And that could be bad. But like, like I said, against with Arkansas, made their receivers like, hey, you're not feeling as great about your receivers. You get some new guys, get some freshmen, Prentice and Bond, both making big plays for them at the receiver position. And then, you know, but the, the, the entirety of the thing is what what is Bryce Young? What does he look like moving forward? Is he OK? I know Coach Saban said not a long term structural issue kind of thing, but it's just stuff you never know about. Yeah, I mean, you look at Bryce Young. He, he had to get some chapstick at halftime. He was so excited about that number two trying to cover the slot. Uh, for uh, I mean, there was uh, nothing against the kid, but he's putting him out on the island and he's playing in coverage. He just can't play against uh, any team, much less Alabama. And hit two. You know, fortunately for Arkansas, they had the one uh, short pass over the middle on the goal line where the yeah. receiver extended his arm and the guy made a pick, but. 
it would have been even uglier. But uh, but then you know Arkansas, I'll give him credit that he came back and we're in the game there until that third and seventeen. But I'm just going to tell you, uh, I, I would worry A and M all of a sudden. Max Johnson supposedly now has a broken wrist yep. or maybe a broken you know metacarpal. I'm not sure what it is, but. Something with the hand or wrist, yeah. They can do something quickly with that, but not that quickly. So, uh, you know, with Haynes King in there, they're just so limited in the passing game. He's a good runner, but I just think those ends will come off the edge. And, you know, I mean, Will Anderson just licking his chops on that. Um, This is an Alabama team that's got now, to me, if they would just stay with that running game a little more, even if Bryce is playing a lot more to defend, you know, at the end of the year last year, they were just a pure drop back team because the one back was hurt. And, you know, you could defend them with five and six defensive backs, but all of a sudden with this running game now Gibbs, I mean, it worries me down the road for us, but uh, I think A&M's in some serious trouble here Saturday. I mean, preseason, this game was one that was thought to be, hey, the SEC West may be decided from this. You were talking about arrow up and arrow down on teams, Coach, and it looks like to me at this stage it's kind of Alabama and the Mississippis, and that's going to work itself out in the next month. Yeah, I mean, if, if you just think about who's the third best team in the league right now, you got to say it's either Tennessee, Mississippi, or Mississippi State after these, uh, you know, Kentucky's already lost, so. I mean, that would be what I would say. Those three teams are, and uh, the fact that Ole Miss, in the history of the SEC, has anybody ever played an easier schedule than they have the first six games? No. Nope. I mean, I'm I'm just telling you that was one of their one of those deals where uh, Engelbert Humperdinck was singing "Welcome to My World." <laughs> I mean, you know, come on in there with "Welcome to My World." Let me come on in, old Lane Kiffin. Wow, what a, I mean, he's done a good job with the transfer portal, losing coaches and, and uh, plugging them back in. And he's got that everybody believing. I think he's done a heck of a coaching job down there. I mean, one of the best in America when you look at what he's done. But what a schedule, man. Well, the thing, the thing with the Mississippis, too, it's the defenses that have elevated both of those teams. Yep. And that's what's been lacking the last couple of seasons. Yeah, no and you talk about buyouts, Dane. <laughs> Just think if this thing gets ugly on Saturday night, in the national audience, <laughs> are those guys in like, Texas going to be like, guys? Yeah. Hmm, yeah, I mean, I think I can get to this. I think I can get that. Talk about Lane being the next Alabama coach now. I mean, uh, you know, that just comes up when when somebody, one of his assistants, starts doing well. So, but but you got to be, uh, you got to understand. And, and uh, all three of us talk about it, but for our listeners here, if you've got a, a, a team that can have quarterback runs in your package in today's college football and make the, make the defense stay at home and play their technique, it's just so uh, – if, if a coach knows that he doesn't have to worry about the quarterback runs, uh, their defense is going to be pretty good. But if, they, if you're worried about a Hendon hooker – if you're worried about uh, the Slovis kid, all these guys, I mean, uh, he, you know, he's the one at Pittsburgh and Dark's the one at uh, Dark. Mississippi. But I'm just telling you, you got to be aware of that. I mean, we just talked about the difference in, 
and, and in Georgia playing this week against uh, uh, this kid. That, you know, right. Ashford can really hurt you on the perimeter, and that sets up their inside runs with uh, Hunter and uh, and Tank. Tank. So, uh, we, uh, I'm just going to tell you, if you got a uh, in today's college football, the teams that are winning big has a quarterback that can get out of trouble or can hurt you with quarterback runs. I mean, there might be one or two that don't, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with these guys can move their feet and help their offense keep going. Coach, one thing, you mentioned him again, and I, I meant to bring this up earlier, so you mentioned Robbie Ashford. Before Georgia played Oregon, all we heard about was, well, you know, Dan Lanning, know the, he knows those players. So we heard that for three months. Right now, Robbie Ashford is a guy that Brian McClendon helped coach at Oregon, and then Mike Bobo knows all the other players at Auburn. Huh. Yeah, that helps you uh, from a just strictly like on Sunday. I'm sure Kirby had him go down every kid and say, well, does he have anything that, that hurts him? Uh, I mean, how about his stance? Is that a giveaway? And, and you do that watching tape, but you also do it from if you've had a coach that's been there like Muschamp talking about South Carolina players. I mean, that's just something you got to use. Like if a guy's working at the uh, Ford dealership and he comes over and starts working at the uh, Kia, he's going to tell you some of the things they're doing in the shop and all that. I mean, that's just the way it is. But I know this without question. This game Saturday, Mike Bobo's got a burr in his saddle for Brian Harson. There is no <laughs> <laughs> we'll so leave that. True. We'll leave that one there. Let's move on to South Carolina and Kentucky. Kentucky still ranked 13th in the latest poll. They're four and one after the loss to Ole Miss. 7:30 is the kickoff time, and Brent Kentucky's a six and a half point favorite. I just can't look at Kentucky's offensive line and understand how it's dropped off so severely from what it has been the last two years, which is one of the better ones in the league. Let me ask well, you a question here real quick, Brent, because you you remember what number Johnny Unitas was? It was teens, 19, 16, 19. 19. That's how many sacks there to Johnny Unitas' team. They've given up 19 sacks this year. That's amazing. And when what's amazing, like you said, Dane, with Kentucky. Now, granted, you lost – you know, Fortner, Kennard, Rosenthal, you lost the guys to the league. And those guys are, you know, playing, some of them even playing in the league. But like you said, you should have, at this point, that you've been there for long, you should have something. But the biggest thing watching Kentucky and Ole Miss, for that matter, in that game Saturday was the, the style of play for both teams to me seemed completely sort of bass backwards in a way. Like if I'm Kentucky, like their three receivers are legit. Oh. Those two true freshmen for Kentucky's Dane Key and Barry on Brown, like especially Brown, number two, that guy's got a different gear. And if I'm Kentucky sure looking, hey, I got Levis, I got this guy who might be the you know number one overall pick or your first round type pick. No. I'd be playing the up you know, we know, yes, but, <laughs> but people talking about it. But I'd be playing the up tempo style and spreading the ball around, throwing it around a lot versus Ole Miss who has the running game, like there's, to me, those styles were completely different. And I think if Kentucky, now granted, Rush, Chris Rodriguez getting, coming back for them was a big deal. And, and the, what he does just individually is amazing and how hard it is to tackle that kid. But I think Kentucky needs to change kind of who they are a little bit. 
because their best players might be those guys, the QB and the guys on the outside. Yeah, I agree. Eliminate the offensive line as a possibility. Get the ball out quick, play action, throw the ball, that sort of thing. Their their offensive coordinator came in from the from the league, an NFL guy. He's calling the game like an NFL coach. I mean, he you know, it's no question that they using formations to get an angle on a toss sweep or uh, every play the uh, play clock grows down to they have to call two or three timeouts a half because they're almost in, in position to get a delay a game. And when you got weapons like that on the perimeter, I haven't seen Kentucky have people like that in a long time. I mean, maybe since Fran Kersey bought all those players back in 1977 when they were 10 and one. But let me just tell you, that number two, I hope he gets in the transfer portal and comes down here. I mean, <laughs> gracious, he's a player. And I, I didn't know how good he was to Brett. He watches these a lot more than I do, and he told me about it. And then, sure enough, right there at the end, he made that play. And they get the ball down there twice, inexplicably lose it on turnovers. Yep. And they, they lost that game. They, I mean, Ole Miss didn't win it. I mean, they, they gave it to him, And uh, – you know, had some really bad things happen to him in the kicking game. I mean, your your wedge guy back there is moving, and you center hits him on a snap. I mean, how many times has that happened? And that's just a gift. And there's something that every punter ought to know. They taught me that when I was kicking in Little League. If you get a snap inside the 10, take the ball and run out of the end zone. You yeah. take the safety. Don't get the other team a touchdown by falling on the seventh. That looked like a poorly coached special teams play to me right there. So, but here's the big big thing here. You know, one of the things we do research wise for this show is talk to our friends around the country. And I'm hearing that Will Levitz has a turf toe and is really doubtful whether he's going to play in this game. Shane Beamer is saying, "Look, why don't you just take off one more week and then you can play next week? Because if he doesn't play, all of a sudden South Carolina's chance of winning are a lot better. I don't give him a big shot up there now, but." The line has been following that thinking, the betting line. There's just enough Kentucky people up there that were had their basketball season tickets and were going to go to that midnight madness and all, but decided they were going to hang with that Kentucky Wildcat team a little bit longer. And all of a sudden they said, oh, well, we're just getting ready for basketball. Football's not going to be able to do it again. So uh, this is a basketball school. Remember when Cal said that? But I think Kentucky's still a tough out. But uh, hopefully they'll keep trying this 1920 offense all year. Well, I agree with you all that Kentucky should be a pass first team with the talent it has. However, if Levis is not the one passing in this case, yeah, no. then maybe they need to be a run first team oh, against yeah. South Carolina. Oh, yeah, 100%. Well, so, they can run the ball on South Carolina with whoever yeah. wants to. But, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden Spencer, Spencer Rattler, we've talked about him so many times about what he – can't do it he can do some things and you know if he can have a hot quarter and they get up on somebody uh he's just had so many bad plays this year uh, i mean even against uh, these two uh, cupcakes they played i mean he had picks against those guys and uh it's just uh they got three wins i don't know how they're gonna get to six so do you i'm not so sure they win a conference game yeah, It'll be tough. That game against – I mean, Missouri's better than I thought they were, and they got to play Vanderbilt. You know, hey, Vandy's going for four wins too, but uh, that's neither here nor there. What else we got to talk Speaking about? Speaking of Vandy, right? 
Uh, speaking of Vandy, we'll get to them after we uh, chat about our friends at ASW Distillery. So, you know, the Atlanta Braves just did their thing and are back hosting postseason baseball at the Battery. And if you go to one of those games, which they are fantastic experiences for sports fans, if you go to those games, you should go check out the ASW Distillery Um tasting room that they have at the battery so you can do that during braves baseball they have two other tasting rooms around the atlanta area they're new partners for ugasports.com so whether you like their bourbon or their gin or their vodka many options for whatever spirits uh, are your tailgating favorites and if you're a georgia fan and most people that watch us are if you're a georgia fan this is like the georgia bulldogs run distillery company in georgia five of the six founders are uga grads they like to say that they are distilled by dogs so check out aswdistillery.com or wherever you make your purchases for your tailgates or your parties or just uh for home on evenings on the back porch like i'm on right now and check out some of the products from asw distillery really good uh people over there that have been supporting our shows this year so we appreciate their partnership all right, you mentioned Vandy, Brent. I know you uh, are a fan of theirs this year, at least the trajectory they're on. And they do host Ole Miss. That's a 17-point uh, dog at home for Vandy. Ole Miss comes into Vanderbilt. That's a 4 o'clock SEC network. And, and like we talk about with Kentucky, I, I think if Ole Miss played Kentucky style, they would be phenomenal because those two backs, Evans and Judkins especially, Judkins especially, that guy is legit as a true freshman. I think he's forced 35 missed tackles already. I mean, that's the most in the league by far. And, you know, what's amazing though, and Nick, you talked about it earlier in the show, the defense making plays. Ole Miss's defense stepping up, making plays, a lot of transfers, and including the former Georgia uh, guy who got back in the second half of that game, Otis Reese, make, a lot making plays for them in the secondary. Guys on the edge, uh, two and 95, Johnson and, and Robinson, uh, Cedric Johnson, at least three QB pressures in each grant, each game. It's, they get through this, and then they set up the big game against LSU next week. Yeah, I mean, Otis Reese, I just saw where Reese's Cup uh, – seriously, he's got to deal with Reese's Cup, which yep. three guys in the league all have Reese in their name, and they're going to do something. So, so good for him. I mean, we got guys starting all over the league. You got that guy at LSU in the secondary. We got – Major Burns. We got – Kimber at uh, Florida in the secondary. Uh, Matt Landers. Got, uh, I was talking about secondary guys. Ah. Matt Landers, I mean, dropped a couple last week too. But, uh, you know, uh, we got Breeny back there at Arkansas. So mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of guys. Cox is playing uh, for Florida. So we'll see how that works out. But uh, Vandy, I mean, the, all these transfers are going to go in there and they're thinking, good Lord, I thought I was going to the SEC. I didn't realize I was going to play in a high school stadium and they're going to go in there and play at Vandy. And it, it's just hard to get your team focused going into that stadium. Now, the tape helps you a little bit now because Vandy has won three games and they've shown some semblance of having some players. And they played Alabama okay for a little bit, but then they got squished. But it's just a case of will you take care of business, and are we as good as as we look, or is it's just a uh, the deal where we played such weak teams except Kentucky? Is that why we got this thing rolling? I mean, the Tulsa game worries me. The fact that they didn't just put Tulsa away, but I'm, I'll tell you this: 
it's hard to go in and beat everybody's brains out anymore. Every week you got different factions, but uh, I think Ole Miss has certainly got an offense uh, with those two backs that can hurt just about anybody. I tell you, I became a fan of Ole Miss, and in part because of the the celebration of men and uh, yes, in uh, <laughs> the offensive play callers from up top. Get a little I saw that going there. That's uh, yeah, that's a boiler advice there. Look at that boiler <laughs> hanging out there. Uh, hey. That guy's been eating a lot of his mama's biscuits too. I, I respect it, and and I think uh, there there are all kinds of of men to be celebrated, and and that's a shape that. I recognize and, and see even more of in my future as well. So, uh, you know what? People gave it some slander. I'm not here for it. I'm not here at all. Good, no. Good for them. They got to be happy. I mean, you know, hey, they, they were getting ready to get beat, and then all of a sudden you you make that sack and get the ball. That's a big win for the defense. Coach, if a camera would have been on you when you were on the box at Oklahoma, would we have seen anything we shouldn't have seen? i tell you one time it was really close. We were, we were winning. We were winning so bad, and I was eating a hot dog up there, and they stand up there, and unfortunately, uh, I just finished it. And uh, I usually didn't eat during the game, but when you're up 50-something to nothing, you know, and they bring those hot dogs around, they, they just do that. I had to have one, but that would have been bad. <laughs> take a bite, the call play, take a bite, call play. And, uh the other thing, real quick, I don't know, we're about ready to get off, but we were playing SMU at the end of the year. The year we won the national championship, and the game's on national TV. It's supposed to be the first of the year, but they moved it to December 1st for because SMU's supposed to be good, too. And they were. And anyhow, they asked us if we would let, the, let them in the locker room before the game and listen to Switzer talk and all that. And, and Switzer said no, but they told SMU to ask them if they do that, so they did it. So right before the game, I, I'd say an hour before the game, Lucius Selman, who's a really good coach for us, but he just opened up a barbecue place up there in uh, in Norman, and he brought some ribs in there. We're getting ready to play a big-ass game now, and we're eating these ribs there in the coach's place down there. And, I mean, everybody just smacking them away. You know, nobody's <laughs> worried about the game. We knew we were going to kick their ass. But anyhow – so we get up there in the press box, and we got a TV up there, and they show they show their coach talking about what to watch for, fake punt, and all, all the things that you say. And then uh, then one of our guys, well, I'm glad he wasn't down there watching us eat those ribs. <laughs> we, we didn't usually do that. But that's a true story. That's, I mean, we ate those ribs right before the game, and then I told you about the hot dog too. So that's that's, that's all it is for me there. Let's uh, get. We have one more game to get to here. Florida's an 11 point favorite at home against Missouri. That's going to be a noon kick in the swamp. Coach, is there anything to be made of Florida on a short week after having played on a Sunday? No, I just think they had an easy game. And, uh, you know, they, they, they've got the rest of the month in Florida. They got three home games plus the, the uh, cocktail party uh, so against us. So uh, I think they got. A lot of momentum, uh, you know, with the way Richardson's playing and uh, getting some receivers stepping up. It, Missouri's just got to manufacture some points beside field goals because I don't think they're going to shut Florida down cold. I mean, Rich, they're going to let Richardson run around. Uh, that's the way Billy Napier will do. And a, a quarterback run is going to hurt that Missouri defense as much man coverage as they play. Yep. 
And one of the things that you think about with Missouri, and they, they played great and they had a good plan that, that often gets sort of glossed over when, from a nat, to me, from a national perspective. When you play in your division, a team that you play every single year, now sometimes the, you know, the Vanderbilts of the world, and sometimes you're just so massively talented that it's you know, over with. But when you play them at home and they're used to playing you, and now you think about it, Georgia's had the same offensive coordinator for three years. Like they know things too. They learn things too. They learn how they can attack. And I think that kind of gets discounted a lot of times. And that's, I think that's what you saw with Missouri. It's like, Hey, we, we know some things here. We understand some of the things that you're going to do and that you're going to see on a consistent basis with Munkin as the offensive coordinator. Yeah. Plus they had a coach that has worked with uh, Muschamp. Uh, he was a GA for Muschamp and he, he comes to these studies, Georgia, you know, when he was growing up as a as a coach, he would come and visit. So, he knew the inner workings of our uh, program a little bit. Their defensive coach did some good things as far as disguising stuff and then coming at the last second. But they're going to have their hands full in the swamp, although I think Florida is awful in certain cases, certain phases of their team. Uh, and they just don't have the manpower that, that you got to have. That's why they've already lost two games, one at home to Kentucky and one to Tennessee. They just don't. Uh, have as good of players as as the better teams in the league. They got good coaching, but not enough dudes. Brent, Coach and I talked a bit about this on Tuesday, so I want to get your take just as someone that's done some coaching. Eli Drinkwitz saying that setting up the two-for-one possessions at the end of the game against Georgia, but then passing for, you know, trying to get chunk plays on that first possession. Did you like that strategy? Because I didn't, and I don't really care what the analytics say. You've been moving the ball on the ground, and now you're going to pretty much waste a possession and give Georgia a chance to ice the game. What did you think? Nope. Nope. I, I think I listened to Trenton Dilfer this week on Ryan Rosillo's podcast, and he went sort of off on the anal- – because they were talking about what the Ravens did going forward after that, like, 15-play drive that the Ravens had. And – the, the play analytics and the and the math of that, there's a place for it, but there's you have to understand the game and what's happening in that game. And here, you know, here I am. I work for PFF, an analytics company. But there's a it's a combination of both. You got to be able to blend together the actual game that's happening and then what what the math is telling you. And in this game, last week in the Georgia Missouri game, he he should have known I have to win this game with zeros on the clock. And the only way to do that is to keep the ball and bleed the clock and then score at the very last possible second. That's how I was went, went, that they were going to win the game. And that's and he didn't. They did the opposite. Yeah, what made him think that they were going to stop Georgia? They hadn't stopped them the whole half or at the end of the first half. But that was a CYA answer. He was covering his butt from the standpoint of it. It sounds good that I was going by the analytics. But realistically – if he calls any kind of game in that game, Georgia was there for the happening. It could have happened, but he, he made so many bad calls in the game uh, that it was just unbelievable. And I can – people used to second-guess me. That's fine. I understand it. That's that's what that's part of the deal. So I'm, I'm not second-guessing. I'm just saying if you could have won, you should have won. They had every opportunity to win that game, field position-wise and all. He wasted so many plays uh, – you know, trying to hit trick plays and stuff like that or running reverse on first down. And, you know, I mean, just uh, run your offense and get it. And and I know they lost the one receiver, but uh, I, I just felt like that game, we were very fortunate to get out of there with a W, and, and he helped us the way he called the game, didn't you think, Brent? Yep. 
I, I just view this as a bit intriguing because Missouri had that where they claim the analytics at the end, say go two for one, but then Florida against Tennessee a couple weeks ago, they do the analytics thing about, you know, when to uh, go for Going two. for two. Yeah. Well, and, we talked and, about that last week. And, and that and was the so, same sort of thing. I think yeah. down you're trying to win the game. And I think yeah, just to depends. me if I was – you know what we can watch tonight is the first team to ten will probably win this game in the uh, this NFL game. Neither one of them can beat farts out of a dead mule. I mean, they're bad, man. Uh, offenses, two bad offenses on there. But uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how much these analytics played. As as you got so many guys helping you during the game. I mean, you can only have so many people on the headset, but you got people walking up and down the sideline looking to. Check their signals out, uh, seeing if a guy's hurt. I mean, you got a lot of different people helping you during the game that you didn't used to have. Yeah. Well, we will all see uh, when we reconvene next week if Brian Harson made it back to Auburn after this game because I think that's 50 50 right now. Uh, well, he can make it back. It's just a case if he's going to be. <laughs> if they haven't changed the locks on the doors. At, at the know, I think. In, in all fairness to this guy, it's his second year, and they have they're five and six in the SEC. But realistically, who are they going to give the the job to? The janitor over there? They got nobody with any any really. Uh, their coordinators have not had had any kind of a coaching background to, to warrant being the coach. Uh, it probably guess, Etheridge, the defensive back I coach. I guess. It, I guess they could give it to Cadillac Williams because. He knows how to go buy some players for him. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, Christian Robinson had to make step up in his role with Florida last year, so he's yeah, already done this interim role. Coach, but I mean, there's no advantage uh, if you don't have somebody. Can, I mean, they still got some tough games to play. The other thing, he's the play caller. I mean, he's a, all of a sudden you're gonna fire the guy that's running the calling the plays too, and you're gonna change all that. I, I just. But that's all you hear is that they're going to fire him. So I mean, they've been trying to fire him since January. <laughs> well, it's one of those things. What should be done eventually must be done instantaneously, or yeah. sort of now. There's some sort of yeah. quote about that immediately. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Hey, this has been around the league from UGASports.com for Jim Donnan and Brent Rollins. I'm Dane Young. Thank you to our friends at Connor Grading and Landscaping and ASW Distillery for supporting our show. Make sure you check them out um, because they support us and allow us to do this. Went a little longer this week because we're live. Uh, so thanks for sticking with us. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel, like us on Facebook. We'll see you next week here from UGASports.com on Around the League.